0: Binge boys, binge boys! Binge boys, binge boys! Binge boys, binge boys! How running on Binge boys, binge boys, binge in the fuck out of shit! Binge boys are here! Hi. I'm <laughs> Hal Rudnick. And with me, across from me on Zoom, is Lon Harris.
1: Hey. Hi, Lon. Hey, I can also say nouns. Binge boys.
0: Binge boys. There it is. We're here. Yeah. Hoot hoot to everyone in Owl Nation. Lon shakes his head ruefully.
1: If you must have your hoots,
0: fair enough. I I must, Lon. Lon, before we jump into... We've got a nice bushel of programs to talk about, but before we jump into them, is there any streaming news? I know you've
1: got your finger on the pulse. I do, but it's a very slow time for news, and we have so much to get through that I. I mean, we we could talk. Listen, we could talk about Discovery Plus, Al, if you want to. Discovery Channel is going to start their own streaming service, Discovery Plus. It's gonna have Thank all your goodness. It's gonna have all your discovery content, your HGTV, your food network content. It's gonna have some history channel shows on it. But what they're doing is they're gonna they're gonna have a five dollar per month ad supported tier. So they're doing like a peacock play where you could spend the extra money and get all your unfiltered, uncut discovery content, or you could go for this five dollar a month sort of cheapo option get a bunch of these shows on VOD and you'll just have to sit through the ads like you would on television.
0: Ooh, give me that straight, pure, uncut discovery right into my veins. Yeah. Uh. They
1: are I'd love to see we obviously we don't see any numbers on any of this stuff. So we have no idea what's doing well on these services really. But I would love to see the numbers. They there is a lot of time and money and energy that has been spent on like nature documentary type programming for streaming. It was a big part of the Disney Plus package when they were new. It's like National Geographic. We got all the Nat Oh yeah, Geo. they were they
0: were pimping that Geo hard. They were
1: very big on that. And now Discovery is basically in some ways their whole platform. I mean, you've got Food Network, but then the other big selling point of this is Discovery content. Your Shark Weeks, your, you know, your nature and science documentaries and series. So, like, I'm I'm fascinated by how much attention, see, and BBC, too, their iPlayer, also is like, this is where to see Blue Planet and Planet Earth and all these big nature shows. I'm wondering, is that a huge part of the streaming audience? Like, I don't, maybe.
0: Maybe. I mean, if I was a parent, maybe I'd want to just sit my kid down in front of Discovery Plus and be like, there's your homeschooling for the day. When the hell are those schools going to open back
1: up? Apple, too. Like Apple TV Plus launched with uh, Elephant Queen, I believe, was the documentary. That's an elephant nature documentary. And they've got a new one this week that Tom Hiddleston narrates that's like nocturnal animals. They have special cameras to shoot nocturnal animals at night so we can finally see what they're up to.
0: Oh, yeah. I want to see. Oh. Oh. I'll, I'll tell you what they're up to—boning. Yeah, like <laughs> Just kidding. Come on, fun. they're 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 yeah. they're out there. They're living. They're nocturnal. They're they're doing they're boning and they're Man. they're hunting their prey.
1: I'm guessing it's the same stuff that the animals are doing during the day, but at night.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh and you know who you might see on that Tom uh, Hiddleston narrated show—an owl hoot.
1: Bootlon, you, you might, you might not. I don't know. I don't want to make any promises there.
0: Oh, if if there are no owls out there, oh man, the creatures of the
1: night. Well, there are owls out there in the world. I just don't know if they're they're featured on this particular show.
0: Owls love the nightlife. They like to boogie. Lon, thank you for filling us in on the forthcoming Discovery+. Plus. Let's jump into the streaming programming that we took a look at most recently. We'll start off with this series that is debuted on HBO Max, The Flight Attendant from Kaylee Cuoco. She's stars in it, along with Rosie Perez and several other folks. But it's a Kaylee Quoco vehicle.
1: Michael Huisman, who was, uh, it took me forever to figure out where I knew him from because he was uh, Dario Naharis on Game of Thrones. Yes, he, the be, second Dario the, Naharis. Right, the replacement Dario. Thank
0: right. you, because he's got one of those faces. What's the name of the actor from Rogue One? He looks a little like
1: him. Oh, I don't know who you're thinking of from Rogue One. You mean Diego Luna? Diego Luna. He he looks a little like Diego Luna. I disagree about their similarity but that I did get to who you were thinking of. So what what can I say?
0: Okay, I mean, you know, agree to agree that you are incorrect. So, moving on.
1: But yeah, like <laughs> uh, I don't I always give myself an episode before I IMDb somebody in that situation where I'm like where where do I where do I know them from? But this one I could not I had to IMDb it. I could not get there on my own.
0: I've only seen one episode of the flight attendant so far. Tracker.
1: Jeez, there's three. There are three streaming. I right know.
0: Now. Truth be told, I'm I'm out of town and yeah, I, I you know what? No one wants to hear my excuses. But I liked it. I'm looking forward to jumping back in. I think it's kind of a genre bending fun uh, adventure here and kaylee cuoco she is a uh, a discombobulated uh delightful and frustrating alcoholic heroine in this show yeah
1: I, i'll tell you what it reminded me of and i i i don't i'm not saying in terms of quality but i do still mean this as praise it reminds me a bit of the first season of breaking bad do you remember the first season of breaking bad where it was it was funny and dark and weird and a thriller and like action packed. And it was all happening at once. And it was very like disorienting. Like you just got to know this character. And then he's thrown into this really outrageous over the top scenario. And you're just kind of muddling through it with him a little bit at a time. And it, it, it has that chaotic intense feel that you sort of internalize what the character's going through which is i'm in the middle of this crazy situation and i can't get my bearings and so much is happening and i've got to kind of keep up and that's sort of the vibe of this as well and i I, they're handling it pretty well i thought yeah the the
0: paint like Like you were just uh, alluding to, Lon, the pacing is insane, and then it also, it really, it's one of these shows that presses your buttons, and I love a show like this where you're watching the character and you're like, no, don't do that, she just did that, what the... What are you doing? And like, I, I like when a show brings that out of me. But I'm still invested. I can believe that the character might be doing this. I'll,
1: I'll tell you what. There was one scene that that I didn't really like out of the out of the first few episodes that I've watched. Uh, it's from the second episode, but I'll, I'll describe it to you briefly. I won't, spoiler free. So what I think the show is doing so well is that it's all it's all Kaylee Quoka. We're we're watching this entire scenario play out from her POV. It's cuckoo for Cuoco. She's in just about every scene and that's what makes it work. I think we get very invested and there are scenes that happen entirely in her own mind where she's sort of like figuring things out in real time and we're watching her thought process. So I liked all that. And then oddly in episode two, we take a beat where we go watch one scene with FBI agents who are solving the crime that's going on that Kaylee Cuoco witnessed and is now trying to deal with in her own way. We just get this one scene with the FBI agents like to fill in, I guess, part of the investigation. And it really breaks the rhythm because you're like, no, no, I don't I like shouldn't even know about this. Like it feels wrong to even know information that our lead character doesn't have. And the fact that I reacted so strongly in that moment to that scene, I think, indicates what a good job they're otherwise doing of, of keeping us. So wrapped up in her mind and her perspective and letting us get to know this character very well.
0: Absolutely. And there are storytelling elements that remind me of just like some of the shows that put in elements of the fantastical or the weird in their storytelling. I don't know if you've, how much you saw of Man Seeking Woman or even like a little bit of reminiscent of Ally Mc which is an old reference at this point but it but it's stepping out of the linear story and examining it in the character's mind and you don't know yeah it's using these storytelling motifs that are really inventive and like i said kind of genre bending in this also i really like that it's a departure from and probably very consciously a departure from kind of the pat sitcom world of Big Bang Theory, I, which we all I know. I actually from. didn't
1: when they were promoting this, I don't know if they leaned into comedy very much. I feel like they were trying to sell this as a thriller, just a straight up thriller. It is very funny. it, it, it is a comic thriller. Uh right, because it, it is sort of this It's got all these thriller elements like there's like assassins and these big mysteries and violence and all this stuff. But you're almost like in a big Lebowski type way. You're putting a character in the middle of all of that who doesn't know how to deal with it or react.
0: That's a great that's a great comparison. And I think she's proving herself uh like just great comedic timing just like a bumbling funny Yes, yeah, she's uh, sort of a drunk lead. every
1: woman in this heightened spy reality uh, yeah
0: but yeah. definitely a departure from big bang in as much as like ver- like she's very much an alcoholic and it's a lot more sexual and violent and I'm Fully on board for the flight attendant.
1: Yeah. Also, you haven't seen her yet, so I won't reveal her role. But Michelle Gomez, who's so great as the master on Doctor Who, shows up starting in episode two. A great addition to the cast. Perfectly cast in the role that they've given her. Uh, a real treat to see. I did not know she was going to show up. And then you, she shows up and she's she's terrific. She's also in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Hal. I don't know if you're a fan.
0: Have not seen an episode So, yeah, I think we're both uh, pretty much on board for The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. And, yeah, I I just always love seeing Rosie Perez because, yeah, I mean, she was in Do the Right Thing. And I will always uh, stand Rosie Perez. Moving on.
1: I liked that. She was on a lot of the lists of uh, who should take over Jeopardy which I really appreciated <laughs> as a deep white men can't jump cut. I'm assuming that's why people were putting her on that list because that's her bit from the film White Men Can't Jump is her character dreams of one day getting on Jeopardy yes. and then does, oh, that,
0: and then does at the end of the film. <laughs> I, I think they made a good choice with the interim Ken Jennings for now.
1: With Mr. Jen, I mean, he seems like the, the natural choice, although I thought LeVar Burton was like a brilliant, like he's exactly who I could see taking over that. That's yeah. perfect.
0: LeVar Burton would be great. So keeping a like, flight attendant, flight attendant had us on airplanes because you have flight attendants on airplanes. Speaking of airplanes, the mystery of D.B. Cooper ah, about...
1: What a transition what,
0: happened. Oh, yeah. What what a heavy-handed <laughs> transition. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was not a smooth landing into that transition. Listen, it
1: only takes about six to eight hours of planning to pull off each of these uh, episodes of Binge Boys, folks, just so we can come up with material like that
0: exactly the 68 hours of binging so the mystery of db cooper if if you're not familiar it's uh, about the i guess what they say the only unsolved hijacking sure
1: which makes sense i mean a hijacking it takes a long time you got to land the plane people don't have time to figure out who you are so it, it it's hard to it's hard to remain unidentified during a hijacking but yeah 1971
0: D. a B- golden age of hijacking
1: well it was because uh, you know i mean today Hijacking very difficult. Like you think about even on nine eleven, before we were as cautious as we are now, it was still like those guys had to prep. There was a lot of there was a lot of prep going in. They were very organized. Um, well, those guys learned to fly the planes and everything. But I'm saying to, to, to hijack the plane, even in even in two thousand one, much more challenging than in seventy one when you were just walking on. You were showing up at the airport just like I want For to go sure. to Portland. This and they is were very. Like, Fine.
0: Yeah, very pre-9-11 hijacking going on here. Yeah, you, you just, uh, yeah, buy your ticket, get on the plane with whatever weaponry you have. Like, dude walked onto a plane with a, with a suitcase, with a briefcase full of dynamite. How does <laughs> Flaws, flaws.
1: So, uh, so so right, so, so he's in the air, he shows the bomb to the, to the flight attendant, and he's like, listen, t- here's a note, I need 200 grand and four parachutes... And he gets it. They land the plane. They they take all the passengers off. They bring on his money in this big bag and parachutes. And then he jumps off the plane in the middle of the woods in Washington state. And he's never he's never found like they don't find any evidence of the man. Some of the money washes up on shore later,
0: several years later. Yeah.
1: But and not all of it, just some of it. So it's it's you know, it's this enduring, tantalizing mystery. But what I loved about this film is it isn't just here's what happened and some theories. It it really profiles four different people or groups of people who think they knew the real D.B. Cooper and tell their stories. And that's really what the, to me, that's really what the movie's about. More than let's figure out who D.B. Cooper was, it's why is it so important for these people to feel like they knew the DB Cooper?
0: Yes, we don't, and and we to this day, and even after watching the documentary, you don't know. The documentary will allow you to, to make uh, your own inferences. And Lana, I want to ask you if one of the suspects stood out to you. But there was a telling moment at the end of the documentary where the documentarian asks each of them point blank, "Do you think your guy was the guy?" your person was the guy and they all say oh beyond a shadow of a doubt
1: <laughs> yeah they're all they're all it's that's that's what's so fascinating to me is they're all not just like because two of the four are straight- up confessions two of the four are based on, a loved one that these people knew, either in one case, it's a husband on his deathbed. In another case, it was just a friend while they were drinking and hanging out and talking, Confess, said, I was D.B. Cooper. I did this thing. And so, you know, you'd be sure because you believe in your friend. And the other two cases are, they're just, they had these experiences that made them feel this certainty. And I feel like the, the very clever thing that the film does is it sort of takes one even step back. And it's like the same thing that makes these people fascinated is what makes us like, there's a reason that we all can't let go of this story. And that like me, a guy who was born seven years after D.B. Cooper, I know about it and I've heard about it a bunch of times and I'm fascinated by it. Like what, what is enduring about it is sort of the. Absolutely.
0: All we have is, the, and all we have is this uh, composite sketch of a, slim-faced man in sunglasses. That's all we have. And then the money that washed up. Did any of the four jump out at you as like, I think that was the guy.
1: Yeah, I, there there was one story that I thought was more compelling. I'll tell you right away, I eliminated the, the two people who did not actually confess. And it was just people thought. There's one where it was a guy who tried the same bit again in 1974 and got caught. Uh, I don't think that that like they're neither Richard, do I Richard Robert Floyd, McCoy. McCoy
0: McCoy. Yeah, uh,
1: I don't agree like by the time I, I, don't, I don't feel like he would do it again. I feel like y- you do it, you get away with it or you don't. That's it for that. It seems much more likely that guy was a copycat who heard about what D.B. Cooper did. So I, I, I sort of nothing about that one felt that compelling to me. And the other one is a woman whose, her last name is Cooper, her family's last name is Cooper. She had an uncle named LD. He got injured one time, and then this family legend has it that he got injured skydiving with money because he was D.B. Cooper. That one also sounded kind of flimsy to me. There wasn't a lot of evidence. It was all this woman's memory, and then her dad saying, oh, yeah, your uncle did that thing. And, like, maybe he just lied to the yeah, dad. Yeah, and she was a
0: child. She was a child yeah, when it happened. So. That one didn't
1: feel that compelling. It, yeah. So out of the two of the people who actually confessed, I thought that Barb Dayton, who was she she had been a man at the time of the DB Cooper incident and then transitioned into being a woman named Barb Dayton. I thought what was so compelling about that case, one was that the people who are who she told they had to kind of get it out of her, that everybody else, according to these stories, was like he just. Like Dwayne Weber, the other guy, he just came out with it on his death. But he was just like, by the way, I was D.B. Cooper. And the wife, according to her, he was like taking her on a tour of like all the places that were important for D.B. Cooper. Like, I just don't feel like the real guy would have romanticized it in that way and would like just confess in that way. Like you would either confess, come right out and tell your wife everything or you take that to your grave. I don't feel like you're like dropping hints all the time. And the the Barb did that one it was they had to those two friends had to like work it out of her, like take the photos and oh, you kind of look like the picture and like play with it until they got her to go like, all right, yeah, don't uh, don't say anything. But yes, that was me. And also her extensive experience skydiving and with planes. You wouldn't even think of doing something like that unless you already had a background in skydiving with planes, I
0: think. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want my first time skydiving to be under duress after I've just hijacked an airplane. Yeah,
1: and and in the rain, over the woods, like to have the confidence to have that be your planned getaway. Because it wasn't like scrambling, oh God, I got to get out of this plane. It was like, that was the plan. Like, I'm going to get the money and then I'm going to get these parachutes. And to even think about getting extra parachute, all that stuff to me was just, oh, this is a person who's very familiar with aviation. So a pilot like Barbara Dayton makes... Uh, total sense. I, out of the everybody talked to in the film, I found that story the most compelling.
0: Yeah, I, I feel similarly. I, 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 I definitely the copycat. I thought was not credible as as far as being yeah doing it twice just seemed too weird. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm ready to fully dismiss the young woman who, whose uncle it might have been. Weber, Dwayne Weber. He his che- he had like 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 real prominent cheeks high cheekbones and he didn't look like the the picture to me but yeah the the, the film is it's pretty entertaining also vexing because it doesn't su- like anytime i watch a documentary like any like crime related documentary i want that the jinx moment
1: <laughs> Right, right You want D.B. Cooper to write Beverly and spell it wrong. And you're like, aha!
0: Spell Beverly wrong and then admit on a microphone in the bathroom that you did it. Like, I, I wanted them to find – I wanted D.B. Cooper at the end in a bathroom on a microphone.
1: But, yeah, like, and I, and I, I did like how the movie's always kind of probing, like, pushing, like, well, what's what's at heart? Like, there's old guys who just walk around this patch of woods looking for D.B. Cooper to this day. There's, like, a lunatic who lives in a trailer in the woods who just writes books about it and is just an expert for no reason. And, and I did love probing around – there is – There's something so romantic about this idea of, you know, this this self-made criminal, this person who just like just nothing but a good plan and their wits. It's like if there's a Danny Ocean vibe to it. There there is. And they showed footage
0: from back in the 70s where people were like, yeah, that guy stuck it to the man, you know, fuck the rules. If he can get away and get away to
1: that. The passengers didn't even know what was going on until they got off the plane. Like no one was hurt. He was not a violent person. So I think, in some way, it doesn't feel so bad to kind of to kind of root for him. Not the not that I think anybody should hijack planes, but I think that we all kind of feel like a little bit of like eh, it's it's cool. Like you shouldn't do that, but good for him. If you got you away. heard
0: it here, Lon Harris, advocate for hijacking.
1: No skyjacking, but only in the seventies, not today. Folks, come on. What is it—a
0: skyjacking or a hijacking—and what's the
1: difference? A hijacking would be any vehicle. A skyjacking would be one that's in the sky.
0: Okay, you can call that a skyjacking. So, uh, if you hijacked a train, would that be a trackjacking?
1: Well, uh, there is another. If you if you hijack someone's car, you are a a carjacker.
0: And I think you call it. I I only heard a train called a train robbery. A train robbery. Well, because they don't
1: take the train. They come on the train, they take your money, and then they leave yeah, the train.
0: Yeah, t- that'd be tough to hide uh, a right. train.
1: I think this is, you've stumbled onto the reason there aren't a lot of train jackings, because, well, where, you're just going to the next station anyway. You're not, you can't yeah, veer you, off.
0: You can't take the train to a chop shop.
1: This train is going to Havana, Cuba. Like, that's not going to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, the track doesn't go there, pal. You're only going to the end of the line. I, I often t- I take the rail railroad to uh, Comic
1: Con. You enjoy ride, riding the rails.
0: Riding the rails.
1: You you buy a ticket and get in. That you don't. It's not like with a hobo bindle hopping on the back, though. You buy it.
0: No, I I, I, I I sit in an actual seat. Right. Despite um, using
1: riding. The I, rails. I used
0: to enjoy my yearly train travel to Comic Con back when we had in person Comic Con. Back when
1: You know what? It it is it is more convenient. You you take out the the, the traffic hassle. You take out the. Just just like, where do I keep my car and parking and re- move, do I have to move it? But it is also a nightmare. It's not It's not good.
0: Coming back is a nightmare. It's all, Going it, down.
1: It, it, that, that train to San Diego, is a, it's a nightmare. Especially if there's oh, like a baseball d- game. Oh, complete disagree.
0: Lon, point me in the direction of the bar car and I'm good to go. So the mystery of D.B. Cooper... Yeah, just the mysterious figure, really fun telling. If if you're and if you're wholly and completely unfamiliar with the story, it's going to be extra fun for you. Yeah, that's available on HBO. Let's jump into the new Ron Howard, Amy Adams, Glenn Close starring Hillbilly Elegy, a somewhat maligned a Hillbilly Elegy on Netflix.
1: And rightfully so, I think. I I'll tell you what, though. I did not hate this movie as much as I thought I was going to hate this movie. the The buildup here has been that this is just like monstrously terrible and embarrassing. And I do think when it is trying to make deep observations about what what life is like in Kentucky or Ohio and how the other half lives or sees America or like social commentary or whatever, I don't think. I don't think it's very good. I don't think it's observations about Ohio and Appalachia strike me as particularly trenchant or relevant. But when it is just a story about this guy's family and addiction and the cycle of violence and his own experiences, I thought it was okay. You know, I thought it it was fine.
0: I have to agree with much of the word on the street that I didn't find it very good. I, I just thought it was way too heavy-handed with what it was often trying to say. And then also, I did not care for sort of like just the aesthetic and the art direction of this movie. The people did not feel like totally real and, and, and raw enough to me. Like, if you were gonna show, like, a certain class of people, quote-unquote hillbillies or whatever, yeah, if you, if you want to see that, check out Winter's Bone. Okay? Well that, but that's
1: kind of what I... Like, a weird thing about this movie, just generally, is that he's not a hillbilly. Like, J.D. Vance, by no real definition, and they sort of try to protect. He's it. a hillbilly done good. He cleaned up. No, it's very weird, because the opening is, like, his grandparents grew up in appalachia in kentucky what could i think papa and Mima. papa and Mima, and and i think that that environment where the movie opens the movie opens with them visiting relatives in appalachia and kentucky and that to me feels like that's the kind of community that he's really talking about but that's not where he lives or he grew up even as a boy jd vance grew up in middletown ohio which is about 30 miles outside of cincinnati so, like, come on, 30 miles outside of Cincinnati in the 80s, you're you're not like a, a a hillbilly. Like, he wasn't growing up in overalls with a hayseed coming out of his mouth, like, like going down to the creek or whatever. Like, that's a you lived in a city. Like, and you can even see there, Yeah, he wasn't movie, surrounded by banjo music. In the movie, it's not, it doesn't even look rural. Like Amy Adams, Glenn Close, they live in like suburban-looking neighborhoods. And like, you know.
0: Yeah, it looks like a just standard residential street. It's not like dirt it's not like dirt roads and So uh, so yeah.
1: fair enough. He wants to make observations about where his grandparents are from or something. Uh, whatever, that's fine. But then they're treating his character like he's this rural bumpkin, doesn't know, like he goes to Yale to law school and there's a scene where he's, he's applying to all these summer internships. He's at this like fancy party.
0: Oh yeah. An event, a wine mixer, like a, like a notch below the Catalina wine. Right,
1: He's at a fancy cocktail hour trying to meet and impress big lawyers so he can maybe clerk at their firm. At, At one point, a guy passing by offers him wine and he goes, I'll take white. And the guy goes, oh, Chardonnay or Chablis. And he has a freak out. He literally calls his girlfriend to like pick her brain about what he should say. First of all, you would think lawyer, problem solver, just pick one of the two options, even if you don't know.
0: Yeah, like what are you going to do when the opposing attorney calls an unexpected like witness or something? You're going to like, uh, can I stop and make, can we adjourn so I can make a phone call?
1: Objection. We don't have that where I grew up, man. Yeah, like,
0: yeah. Pull the trigger like, on Chablis one white or
1: wine. Or I couldn't like. I grew up in big cities. Like I couldn't really like. If you gave me a glass of Chablis and a glass of Chardonnay, I don't know if I could drink them and be like that. That was that. I know I could. Yeah. All I
0: know is not to drink Merlot because Paul Giamatti told me so.
1: <laughs> and actually, I think Merlot is is tasty and fine. And for, Paul Giamatti was just being insufferable there's nothing it's like so silly that this idea that a guy from like ohio in the suburbs
0: that was a little far-fetched i mean yeah like he's going to reds games and uh, eating cincinnati come chili come
1: on right exactly it's like it's like come on you're not from you're not from the sticks dude like you're not like that's just ridiculous
0: yeah you're not nell we didn't just pull you out of the woods we didn't pull nell out of the woods and say white like Chablis or Chardonnay.
1: Oh, what? I'm Nell. I was raised by a wolf. Would you like to clerk at my firm this summer? Like a tail in wind. No, Nell, no, that's all right. Put your butt away, Nell. We're at a fancy party. No, exactly. It's it's like if you're going to do the like stereotype trope stuff of like, oh, I don't know what fork to use for my appetizers. Like you got to you got to at least invest and have it be a guy from a real rural backwoods kind of location so we were like oh well that guy wouldn't know it just doesn't feel real or authentic at all but when the movie's not doing that i felt like it was not so bad like amy adams glenn close they're they're good actors like if it was just to present it as uh this is a heartbreaking story about opioid addiction and you know like what like codependency and like the cycles of violence that run through generations of families, and it was sold just as that without the political stuff and the social stuff and the hillbilly stuff, I think it would have been better received. See, I liked Glenn
0: Close just for being like over the top and disappearing into that character. I love the look of Glenn Close. And I think, you know, Glenn Close is fantastic. I didn't think Amy Adams was gritty enough.
1: Well, it's Ron Howard, so you're always going to get like even the ugliness can't get. Too ugly. I also thought this, another recent thing that made me think this was Queen's Gambit. Did you ever finish Queen's Gambit? Oh, yeah. So in the second to the penultimate episode of Queen's Gambit, we see her hit rock bottom, as it were, where she's, she's strung out on these pills. She's drinking too much. She's not leaving Circles the Circles under her eyes. Uh- it looks so fucking glamorous. Like Anya Taylor Joyce still looks great in those seats, and it's like that's not really that different from like a typical weekend for a lot of people. Like at that, how is that rock bottom? Like come on. She doesn't even throw Lon, it Juan, do you need wait,
0: Juan, do you need me to intervene?
1: I mean, like come on, you take a couple of Xanax and have a few glasses of wine and that's rock bottom, you need to be rescued.
0: right. Come right. on, lady.
1: If you're going to crash, you got to
0: crash. You know, if you want to see, like, people, like, living just at the at their bitter end, at rock bottom, and having that real edge, as far as, like, you know, quote-unquote hillbillies, like I said, Winter's Bone, or, like, Precious, like, you know, to, you know, a divisive film from a few years back, like, I thought, like, that, like, that, you believe it. That, you're like, whoa. This, I'm like... Okay.
1: Right. So it's, it's, it's got the Ron Howard glossiness. Like, it's, uh, yes. I, I, I agree with all, I agree with everything you're saying. I did want to talk about, Glenn Close has a monologue in this that is amazing. And that I hope that future actors embrace when they have auditions. It's about the film Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And it features her observation that there are three types of Terminators. Good Terminators, bad Terminators, and neutral. And, and first of all, I want to take strong issue with this. I don't believe there are neutral Terminators. I don't think so. I've never seen a new, they're, they're either kill John and Sarah Connor or protect John and Sarah Connor. There's no, yeah, just like, there's not
0: like a Terminator that's sent back and it's like, yeah, no, I'm just here to chill.
1: Sal Connor, I'm ambivalent about you. Please go about your business and ignore me. That never happens. They either are like, you have to die, or come with me if you want to live. That's it. Yeah, those are the two options. So already she's watched this movie a hundred times but failed to understand it at all. But also, that's not true of just Terminators. There are three types of literally everything. You're either good, bad, or neutral. Those are your only options. It would be like, there's only two kinds of Terminators, married or unmarried. Like, that's that's all it could be. There's only two kinds of anything. Glenn like Close, you idiot. What are you talking about?
0: A friend, well, kind of an acquaintance once said to me, and I remember he was talking about the woman he was dating, and uh, he said, there's only two types of women, a queen of diamonds and a queen of hearts. This lady's, I don't know why I'm adding a, he was—he uh, d- didn't have a, an accent that was not strong, but I like saying it with the accent. Two types of ladies, queen of diamonds. And I'm like, you know, isn't there some gray area in people? And there's also in
1: mean, I
0: mean, the yeah, yeah. What about yeah? What, what about um, a queen of clubs? There are
1: two more queens out there.
0: Okay, there's one more queen, a queen of clubs who will bop you on a head.
1: Yeah. I, I think you're if you're going to use playing cards, ah, uh, there's four. You gotta you get that. That's a metaphor that has four four angles.
0: Yeah, if I, I mean, I, suits, I think people. There's more gray area.
1: Terminators, yeah. There's uh, I think you could just boil them down to two. I, I, it should have been D anD know. I'm sure it's based on the real because this is a true story. So I'm sure it's based on the real. mema Love, Terminator movies or whatever, but it would have been. There's only nine orientations you could have: son, chaotic, neutral, or chaotic, you know, chaotic good, good, chaotic, bad. Yeah, <laughs> I would rather walk, walk him through all of that.
0: Yes, you know what? We we need to make like that nine D anD D thing of Glenn Close. Yeah. That'll be
1: Cruella Deville, chaotic evil.
0: Yes. Oh, you're you're bam. You're off to the races, okay.
1: Albert Nobbs, lawful good. I don't know. I never saw that movie.
0: But Hillbilly Elegy, yeah, I th- I thought like it's it's totally skippable.
1: It is skippable. I don't mean to. I don't mean to sing its praises. I didn't think it was a very good movie. I'm just saying that there is. It's sort of like there's two movies here, and one of them is very bad. The one that is trying to speak to our times. And to a community in America that has been overlooked or whatever, that sucks, and it's dumb, and it's and it hits it way too hard. The elitist
0: liberals uh, or the elitist lawyers or whatever that are at this thing, like they are like clownishly uh, caricaturish.
1: None of it feels authentic. I mean, you get the, you get a shot of like they drive by this mill that's closed down, and the old man looks at it with like a forlorn, wistful, like. Ah, remember the good old days when we manufactured here in America's heartland. It's like, you don't need to hit me with it quite this hard, Rod Howard. I get it. So that that stuff is no good. But there is also this kind of small domestic drama in here where it's just Amy Adams and Glenn Close and this kid. And it's about this sort of family that can't escape poverty and abuse and addiction. And I, I really didn't think that stuff was that bad. I, I feel like I got what what they saw as the movie here. Behind all this other
0: stuff. If there's one thing that makes it worth watching again, I will say it is Glenn Close chewing the scenery. Yeah, I agree with Lon that the flashbacks are where it's at and make this movie almost worth watching. Maybe, yeah, I think you'd even fast forward through the present day stuff and go back to the 1997 flashbacks in uh, Hillbilly Elegy just to see uh, Glenn, just for that monologue that Lon was talking about Hillbilly Elegy on. On Netflix. Also in theaters, if you want to risk your life to no, see Hillbilly Elegy. Please don't Elegy.
1: risk your life to see
0: this movie. So moving on over on Hulu, 6ix9ine, the saga of Danny Hernandez. Can
1: I ask how I'm, I'm fascinated by Because this was two weeks in a row. You were like, can we watch the Takashi 6ix9ine documentary? The first time I was like, just blatantly like, no, I don't have time for that. The second time I was like, all right, it's a multiple. What? What? Are you a fan? What was the fascination?
0: You know what? Here's the thing. I'm moderately like I'm aware of the music, but I'm a fan of his story. I I think like if you pay attention to like if you follow like hip hop and just like different like the blogs and listen to like podcasts uh, or watch. Uh, YouTube shows like No Jumper hosted by Adam22 or uh, <laughs> this some... This the whitest
1: uh, thing I've ever heard. Like, if you love if you love hip-hop like me and listen to all the blogs...
0: I'm a middle-aged man. I should not be talking about No Jumper where Adam22 interviews rappers and porn stars. Sure. Yeah, so just my familiarity with the story made it, compelled me to want to watch this. I understand and, uh, because
1: I, I just... I, I, he's... I, I only really know him from in, infamous on the internet like like criminal pedophile I knew all of that stuff and then these horrible horrible songs and I'm not I'm not like a rap sucks rap stop music guy I like a lot of that stuff it's it's not a genre based critique I just really don't like his songs they're they're repetitive half the time it doesn't even really feel like like he's got any kind of real flow he's just yelling, Words and like a lot of the time they it's the same word over and over like you dumb you dumb you stupid you dumb you dumb you stupid you stupid you stupid you stupid you dumb and it's like is that the song really like it definitely is like old man shit like this is exactly the kind of music that makes me feel like well I don't understand music anymore I'm an old yeah
0: man. first off um very nice flow when you were recreating his music there Lon
1: I'm I might be better at this than Takashi Six I,
0: I don't mind it like I, I I I like rap I don't hate his stuff and I don't. Like I'm not like, you know. I definitely think there was a little bit more like th- thoughtful messaging in a lot of earlier genre rap, but today I still enjoy like modern stuff. Like
1: there, again, I don't mean this to be a blanket critique of all rap. There are there are present day rappers that I enjoy. Whatever. I,
0: I, the, yeah, I'm not accusing you of going yeah, full Ben Shapiro this, on
1: us or anything. <laughs> in particular, and it is. I mean, I think in the film they, I, I, I to, 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 we can cut to the chase. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was insightful. I, I learned a lot about this guy and and his whole story, and pieced a lot of the threads together just by watching this. So on on that level, it was it was interesting. But yeah, like it, it, as the movie talks about, it all does on some level feel like it's just a tech. Like it's not about the music. He, he doesn't really care about the music. That's how he's able to churn out these songs so quickly. It's just about the look and the joke and the trolling and the attention.
0: Yeah, the clout chasing, as, as right. they call Right, and it's it. like,
1: that's how you could come out with a new song every, like, few weeks in a new video. It's like, well, you don't care if it's good.
0: He really is. It's it's kind of a, an astonishing story and very much, like, a, a timely story. It's like a real 2020, you know, story. It's
1: a very Trumpian story as well.
0: Yeah, because he this guy was absolutely a troll that exploded loaded for his trolling and he was trolling I wasn't familiar with every part of his journey like I thought it was actually you know I mean garish and ugly but also oh um kind of cool that he would wear these shirts that have these loud phrases and stuff on it it's like you know what that's that seemed young and young fun aggressive but like you know not the worst thing in the world, but then, yeah, he started aligning himself with some really dangerous people, and it's like, wow, this is a real cautionary tale. like you know if you are you know going into business with like a very dangerous gang and then you cross them, that that might be a mistake.
1: yeah I, I don't know if I saw it as a co- I don't think I, ultimately I did not end up on his side or feeling like, oh boy. He got swept up in it. He, he went went too far. It's a cautionary tale. It's a morality play, or whatever. Like he's a he's a piece of shit. Like he's he's terrible.
0: Absolutely. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to justify like his his move. But I do think he went in. Like he got in over his head, and like he chose to keep going, though. So yeah, not a good guy. I
1: think it's like uh, like Donald yeah. Trump. It's this. Whatever I say, as long as it's as long as people talk about it, even if it's ridiculous, if it's a lie, if it's nonsense, if it's just bad words, as long as pe- it engages people and they pay attention to it, it works, and I can keep going and and eventually just create this whole reality around myself that's total nonsense. But people are so fascinated by me and what I've got to say. I've made myself such a pariah. I've made myself a symbol that everybody's just hanging on what I said. And it it ultimately, it leads to nothing. I mean, just like Trump, it's hollow. There's nothing to it. And eventually you're just making things up and screaming into the void. And it's only like the losers and the last dregs who care. But, you know, it's like a real rise and fall. Like, that's kind of what it felt like to me. And there was, it's interesting, about three quarters of the way through the movie, I started being like, should we make documentaries about this guy He's kind of a scumbag and doesn't deserve this attention. And then that is how the director Vikram Gandhi actually ends the movie by like, why did I make this? Did I just get taken? Like well what's what's the point of, of telling you about this guy?
0: Yeah, agreed. Like he cut like Takashi 6ix9ine, Danny Hernandez comes through many times in the film to prove that he's not a good person like he is a, a like a, just a you know a trash bad person um and i'm so surprised that that like his first the mother of his uh of his kid she like to this day is still like oh yeah i i'm i'm I still like him.
1: Well, she does call him an abuser and say that he doesn't really he doesn't really care about his daughter. He's just using her as a prop. And like it's basically everyone in his life. Nobody has good things to say except like the homeless dad who wants you know, money and attention. He says bad exactly. things. So I mean, like obviously the guy had a hard life. But yeah, I don't know. Like it's a very entertaining, compelling movie. I can't necessarily say if it has a good reason to exist. I kind of ended up agreeing with the director that maybe we'd be better off not knowing this guy.
0: You know, but like he exists and we're not saying do this, but an objective look at like this guy who got to the pinnacle and then just what went so far and was so bad and it all like went to his head and he just destroyed what he had That's
1: not true though but it seems he's still if, if it was he really destroyed what he had and we could meet with him today and he's a ruined man and he's learned and reflected now you've got a, a case but he seems exactly where like go go to his instagram right now he's a free man he he's he's still a popular recording artist he's still got yeah he got of fans. out of prison
0: his his latest album flopped a little bit.
1: I mean, you know, like, sure, he's going to have ups and downs in his career. But no, this is not like a guy who, like, got his comeuppance and then learned a valuable lesson. He's still doing the same crummy, just like Trump. He's still doing the same. Every, every time we think we got him, we don't really got him.
0: But to the question, do we make the documentary? I mean, it's a, uh, it's a compelling and evocative story. So, yeah, we, t- we tell that story, but we don't want to glorify that i think
1: would vikram gandhi be better sir by picking a more worthy subject rather than wanting more attention on this trash you said you watched it and you liked it i watched it because a guy who i do a podcast with two weeks in a row was like hey lon watch this true (laughs) but you said you liked it i did I it's true. I enjoyed the experience of watching it. I felt a little dirty afterwards and I felt like the director was like right there with me. Like, that's rare to watch a movie and feel like, ugh, why did I watch that? And then have the guy who made it be like, I know, dude, really? Like, what was I doing? Why? And you're like, yeah, I agree. Vikram Gandhi. And he's like, yeah, I know, man. I'm like, well, why is it on Hulu? He's like, gotta get paid. Like, all right, Vikram Gandhi, whatever you say.
0: Interesting. But like we were saying, it's a, great rise and and fall and then it's a it's uh, a very question mark
1: it's an entertaining movie and especially especially if you are curious about this guy or the world of soundcloud rap or pop culture in 2017 to 2019 20 it's probably worth worth watching i felt a little dirty afterwards like why like, like this guy doesn't deserve my attention
0: I was able to get a perfect night's sleep after I watched it. <laughs> Lon, so that was uh, 6 9 the saga yeah. of Danny Hernandez like on.
1: Vikram Gandhi, the same director, he previously made Barry a scripted film about the early life of Barack Obama. So you can't get a handle on how he's choosing subjects. He's all over the map.
0: Oh, yeah. From presidents to disgraced SoundCloud rappers. <laughs> what
1: about that uh, rainbow-haired guy with the crazy teeth? Well, maybe him next.
0: Well, the, the, I mean, it's not. that's a grill. That's a grill, Lon.
1: No, I know, but he's not like Fang a Fang grill. That's I didn't mean his biological teeth. Although they might be, I don't know.
0: Who knows? Who knows?
1: He's got a grill
0: on. Since we are in December and the holidays are just about upon us, we watched a holiday special, the Lego Star Wars holiday special on Disney Plus. Juan, did you enjoy
1: This was a relentless experience. I thought I was settling in for like a holiday, you know, like it'll be some cutesy little plot about we got to save life day or, oh, no, we got to get these gifts to Mon Calamari in under 10 parsecs. Yeah, I I thought
0: it might be they, they might come at us with a few little vignettes and entertaining like uh, tidbits, like 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 bits and 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 stunts and things, like the old Star Wars holiday special. But no,
1: yeah, but it is not. It is it is not just an original story, but it is a crazy, relentless, intense roller coaster ride, like sci-fi time jumping, crazy story. Yeah, portals
0: with this. With this crystal, a lot of just like introducing lore that is this canon to Star Wars now? This it's it's so bonkers. I,
1: I I asked my my followers who are a lot dorkier about Star Wars than me. I asked them, "Is this canon?" Because it goes absolutely off the wall. It, it basically it's like an Avengers End Game for Star Wars, where Ray yes, discovers the portals are opening up. Ray discovers a relic that can that can allow her to jump to literally any moment in the history of the Star Wars universe. And so almost the entire special is her visiting pivotal key moments from the films.
0: Yes, the biggest moments from each film.
1: Or even the Mandalorian in one scene. And it just seems like this plays havoc with the entire narrative. Apparently it is not, it is like loosely canon, but all of Rey's experiences inside the cave you can take as, like, a dream sequence. So now that things are set right, it's basically like none of the portal stuff really happened. Ray just experienced it herself. Aha. But it did not actually impact the history of Star Wars. That's how we're considering what happens.
0: Oh, so... Darth Vader did not fight Darth Vader.
1: There's no mix-ups that way where the Emperor turns good right before he dies or whatever. There's none of that. I will say, I think there's so much of that stuff that it doesn't feel very Christmassy. That would be my big, Mm -hmm. for a holiday special, it really only feels like it's tangentially acknowledging that there's a holiday.
0: Yeah, the the only holiday thing about it was Oscar Isaac's Lego guy's sweatshirt.
1: Yeah, it's... It's like every once in a while somebody wears a sweater, or they're like decorating the Falcon. At one point, the life tree. We get or, yeah. we do get a cameo from Chewbacca's extended family, who we met in the original special. But no, it feels it feels light on the life day and the the goodwill toward men and the festivities, and it feels very heavy on inside jokes and lightsaber fights. Inside
0: and- jokes, but the jokes were, you know, not. Very uh, sharp. I thought this was very much like kids will love this. If you're an adult and like we're already like you and I are fortunate enough to have like the robot chicken Star Wars and all sorts of
1: like family guy has done Star Wars.
0: Family guy. Yes, exactly. We've had so many good star wars parodies and riffs on star wars that when they do a holiday special yeah th- it felt well this totally is, like kids to stuff. be
1: fair it is for kids and there are other lego star wars projects that this ties into so like I- I- i'll give it that like it- it, fair i enough. get that but it's LEGO, a holiday special w- for kids on disney plus I'll-, I'll-, I'll give it that but I-, I
0: yes but we have the lego movie and we have lego batman so i was primed for something that was really going to get me. I understand, and, yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. This is more like the direct-to-video VOD side of Lego Star Wars. But I, I did, I mean, that, I think that was my, my biggest issue with it was that it feels like when you say we're going to get the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, it feels like it's going to be a little bit more of a tip of the cap to the original 70s Star Wars Holiday Special.
0: That would be so cool. Imagine, like, you know, this is, like, pie in the sky, but Lord and Miller doing a 70s-style, like, Bob Hope special with Star Wars characters. Like, how insanely awesome would that be?
1: Yeah, I I, I thought, right, we'd get at least one B. Arthur-style musical, you know, like, Betty White can do it this time, but we get at least one... Like a little soft shoe, a little dance number. Yes. Something to make it feel more like the new version of that as opposed to something completely original that's just kind of borrowing the name. Oh,
0: absolutely. You know, let's get, uh, like, just all the stars together for a grand salute to Star Wars. Or I wanted the Star Wars characters doing fun things, fun, stupid shit. So like I, I I can't like a couple ideas that like I would have loved to have seen. How about a dancing baby Yoda who does a little soft shoe and then out of nowhere belts out "Mariah carries all I want there for you Christmas." That's an do.
1: expensive. That's an expensive song to license. They probably have be cheaper to get John Williams to write you an original.
0: Lon, they've got that Disney money. There you
1: go. Uh, who's who would you say Hal is? Twenty twenties Harvey Corman. Who's filling in? Who's taking over? Because Harvey Korman memorably shows up in the original Star Wars holiday special. Maybe Jack Black. Oh, I like that. That's a good. That's a good one. Jack Black. Do I, I, I like?
0: love J- what Jack Black's doing on Instagram lately. So I
1: think he's got perfect energy for a Star Wars holiday special. I was going to say Paul Giamatti, but I think Jack Black even better. Don't you? Giamatti just has that Harvey Korman energy to me. I could just feel him in that same kind of role. But I like where your head's at.
0: If you need a curmudgeon, Paul Giamatti's the go-to he feels guy.
1: feels like he should be in the Star Wars universe to me. I don't know.
0: Uh, a couple other st- Star Wars-themed bits I, I would have loved to have seen in my dream Star Wars holiday special. Jabba the Hutt doing some uh, up-close table magic and sleight of hand.
1: That's hard for him. One slug, so slow. But also, he's got those tiny little hands on that huge body. Sleight of hand, a real challenge.
0: It would have been that much more impressive. Yeah. How about this? Rudolph the Red Nosed At At. Oh, so Santa has a sleigh pulled by At Ats, flying At Ats.
1: Wow. And not sentient. So they have they got little guys in them, but you know.
0: True. True. But maybe they'd be magical At Ats. I, I haven't. Fig- I'm, I'm just spitballing. I'm just spitballing. I
1: would here. say Rudolph the Red nosed Gungan. Okay. And it's just That's- like. They don't let Jar Jar play in any of their Gundam games. <laughs> you know. Now I think we're on to something.
0: Th- that that would be fun. That would be f-
1: Misa want to lead the sleigh.
0: That's racist.
1: That's just Jar Jar, baby.
0: True, true. Jar Jar is racist. Let's Jar not forget. Jar
1: very racist. You really can't do an impression of an alien from Phantom Menace and not have it be kind of racist. Like I won't even do the Trade Federation guys. There's, oh no, that's there's no way. And you're a Jew. And you're a Jew. Oh no. That- that, no, Trade Federation guys are the ones that sound Asian, like Newt Gunray. You're thinking of Watto. Watto. I'll do yeah, Watto yeah. because it's my own people. Like, maybe give you a good deal. Uh?
0: Yeah. Where do you get a good bagel around A little, uh,
1: little kugel maybe you have?
0: Uh? <laughs> <laughs> Oi, I've 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 searched all of Tatooine for a good knish. Oh, Alon- don't tell
1: me about pod racing. I haven't had a decent bowel movement in weeks. <laughs>
0: never forget how racist Phantom Menace is. Two more quick ones. I would love to hear Mace Windu's naughty list where it's just Sam Jackson calling all the different Siths motherfuckers. And Does that then, put him on the uh, naughty
1: list? Mace doesn't get Christmas presents because he, he uses the F word? That's a strict Sam. Uh,
0: he would put himself on the naughty list. Oh, okay. List. It's Mace Windu re- reading the naughty list and it's all just <laughs> oh, like... I got it. Um, yeah, oh, okay, I'm not going right. to do... Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to do my... My Sam Jackson.
1: No, is, speaking of yeah. racism, as we always are. Yeah, yeah. and
0: uh, <laughs> and Darth Maul's fabulous lightsaber juggling act, and it's just Darth Maul just, juggling lightsabers, and then and maybe like cutting a guy yeah. up as he's, well, he's juggling. He's
1: already sliced in half, Darth Maul. So added drama. Yes, as you'll recall from the film *The Phantom Menace*, when Obi Wan slices him in half.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's, that's canon. I mean, uh, maybe. Like, we go back, okay, we combine the two, and we can go back with the crystal and go get to a fully functional Darth Maul.
1: There are moments where he walks around, he's got, like, robot spider legs at some point. So he could be on that. He could be moving, he's mobile that way. Oh, wait, he did show up
0: in uh, half of him.
1: Yeah, he's in he, is, he does show up during the action beats of the current Lego Star Wars holiday special. But I like in I believe in Clone Wars chronology, he's mobile. They've got him on a platform that can walk around. Right. Even though he's just a top half now. Very menacing. It was fun. I once I got what the premise was gonna be, and it was like, oh, we're actually gonna go back and revisit all these great stars. Wars. Well, it's like I thought that was fun. That's a cool idea. It it just it feels like if you would put this out as a one hour animated Star Wars movie and it's like time crisis, like I'm fine. Great. But calling it a holiday special is just a little disingenuous. It just it doesn't really feel like it's about the holiday.
0: Yeah. a Little bit of a misnomer. And yeah, most of the bits, not funny. Most of the funny jokes, not funny for a grown a, person.
1: It's a, yeah, it's a little bit. It's for the kids.
0: But uh, there it is, Lon. Wow, we, we watched a lot of stuff this week. We did.
1: Boy, phew, I'm exhausted.
0: Yeah. Lon, uh, do you want to tell folks where they can find you?
1: Sure. Find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the easiest place to do it. That's where I post all the cool stuff I'm working on. And I'm going to throw this in there. If you have the Peacock streaming service, I have written a show that is on the Peacock streaming service, Al. Did you? Did we talked about this? Did you know this? No, tell me. There is a show called RT Essentials. It's produced by our good friends at Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. it, it is a basically like every episode, half-hour episode, it's a trip down movie memory lane. So here's some of the most highly rated Rotten Tomatoes films of the eighties, or here are some of Rotten Tomatoes' favorite holiday films, or here are some of Rotten Tomatoes' favorite uh thrillers or crime films and, and uh I rather you know trivia, history, a little background. Uh, some of the episodes, the debut episodes hosted by my good friend Mark Ellis, who I know you know as well. So check that out. You can look it up on Peacock. It's called RT Essentials. There are no credits on it, but trust me, I would not make this up. I wrote them. That's
0: awesome, Lon. Oh, go. congratulations. That is super Thank cool. Thank you. Well, and and it makes sense to me because, uh, Lon, uh, Lon, you've got a beautiful mind when it comes to uh, movies and such. So uh, very cool. Um, I will absolutely look for RT Essentials.
1: Also, check out my newsletter, Inside Streaming. You can go to inside.com slash streaming to check that out. Free five days a week. We'll tell you everything you need to know, keep you updated about all of this streaming goodness. That's where I'm pulling all of the news from, anyway.
0: Very good, sir. And uh, please, uh, you can come visit me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick, H A L R U D N I C K. And follow my Twitch channel. Chuckleface, twitch.tv slash chuckleface. We do a lot of fun stuff on there, including my long running show, Tournament of Nerds, the third Saturday of every month on Chuckleface. And uh please go and visit iTunes and give us a rating. Give Binge Boys a nice, a big, fat, juicy five stars if you're feeling it. If not, four stars. We'll take yeah, it. We'd accept three stars, stars and under. You know what? Best left unsaid. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. Uh, I want to thank the folks at Starburns Audio, and again, hoot hoot to anybody who's in Owl Nation. And all you, all you got to do to be in Owl Nation is just say, "Hey, why not?" I'm an owl. It doesn't mean anything, <laughs> That's, right, this Ron? Is,
1: this is my critique. Yes, I think it, <laughs> it, it needs to be more of a real organization for me to get behind.
0: It means nothing and everything at the same time. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye now bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys,
1: bitch boy bitch boy bitch bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch